job, y'all. I know you were short-handed, but you did great. Great. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning, and this is um, one of those awkward passages, and you've, you've noticed what we've been doing. This isn't the pastor picking and choosing what to go through. You notice we've been going through each chapter, and hopefully you're learning from 1 Corinthians. And, you know, when I started to write this message, one of the things that stood out to me this, this week, and especially this morning, is that when we start talking about what Paul expects from us, especially you see the title up there, Right Living Before Christ Returns, when we start thinking about what Paul is telling the Corinthian church, what he expects from God's perspective, um, it's so easy for people to get into a do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that mindset. And I want to remind you this morning that God's grace exists not just to save you, but to change you through and through. And I'm just telling you this morning that everything that Paul expects for the Corinthian church is going to be attainable only through the aid of the Holy Spirit. Is everybody with me on that? You have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have the grace of God working itself out through you. We spent some time several weeks ago, and we went through uh, a passage of the book of Romans, and we looked at what happens when Jesus comes into our life. And so we realize that we are not able to will ourselves into doing what's right. We have to have the aid of Jesus Christ. And so we know that when Jesus comes into our lives, he begins to change us. This is what it means to be born again. He changes us on the inside so that we can become who we are supposed to be on the outside. And that's really what I want you all to remember when we go through these types of passages. Last week we had a warning passage, and we know that the book of 1 Corinthians is written to Christians. It's not written to the world because the world, if the world is, um, the world doesn't believe in Jesus, they really don't care what Jesus has to say. It only makes sense. This is Paul talking to believers. Um, one last thing before I get started is sometimes we forget why God gets upset at sin. And one of the reasons why God gets upset at sin is because clearly it's, it's, it's us falling short. You've heard that but the damage that it does to those who are innocent. And when I was a kid, I remembered some vacations. Somebody was talking about Missouri not too long ago. I remember taking vacations to the Ozarks, and I remember what a special time it was, you know, to be riding in the back with my mom and dad, riding in the car, and we were going on vacation. And, and in fact, there was one year we actually made some friends in the Ozarks, and uh, we went back the same year, we met him again, and it was just such a special time, and it was just so good to always be around my mom and dad. And I can tell you the problem that ended up happening is that uh, sin came into our home. And uh, I know this is awkward, I wasn't actually planning sharing this this morning, but I thought I would just go ahead and share it, and I, hopefully my family and home isn't watching, but if they are watching, it, they know, but there was sin that came into our home. And it was, a, it was sexual immorality came into our home. And so the problem was is that my family ended up disintegrating. And I can tell you that what happens is because of people who live sexually immoral lives, 
what happens is those who are innocent get hurt very often. And they get hurt very deeply. And I was one of those kids. I mean, I work with kids all day long that I know this is something that's happened to them, not necessarily to them directly, but the impact of sin like that that's destroyed their home life. This is why children have a hard time to learn to read. Um, There's so many things that go with this. This is what, in the past, I've told my wife, I said, I wish Jesus would have came into my life a lot sooner because we would be in a different situation. I used to tell her these things, and and I also would add to that, had we been able to, as a family, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows what types of potential could have been unlocked in each one of us that has experienced difficult things in their lives. So I'm telling you this this morning because I really, know, I really want you to understand that what Paul is doing when he writes the way he is to the church at Corinth, he's not scolding people. He's not trying to say, you get in the line right now. That's not what he's doing. He is loving them and the Lord is loving them through the apostle Paul by telling them, don't do these things. Because when you do these things, people get hurt. And it takes a lifetime to recover from those things. It does. I shared with someone this week, um, you, you, you just wouldn't believe what I hear very often. Uh, that people find out I'm a pastor and sometimes they, they get me off to the side, you know, I'm just ready to go goof off, right? I'm ready to go have some fun and, you know, crack jokes, whatever, people will get me off to the side and they will share with me some of the things that they've experienced and they'll ask me things like, was it God's will for my spouse to leave me? No, it was not, right? It was not. Um, But yet in the American church, we are struggling with these types of things. And, And the shame of it all is that I've even had people say to me that someone has told them that God met with them in a dream and told them to leave their their spouse, that they could leave that. That's not true. So I'm telling you this morning, your marriage is sacred to Jesus Christ. So what we've been doing is we've been going through 1 Corinthians. And what we've been studying up to this point, we're actually in part two of this letter starting today. But what we've been studying is the idea of a church that believed that they were so special that they could do whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. Doesn't that sound like the book of Judges? The book where Israel failed because they had no king. In those days, Israel had no king. They did as they saw fit in their own eyes. But this is what the Corinthian church was doing. And what they would say is, If you remember, they would say, we are so spiritual that because we believe rightly on the inside, we know that Jesus, when he returns, what's going to happen is our bodies, all of this material, it will will pass away, it'll be burned up. So what we do with our, um, our appetites, if you will, it doesn't matter. And so Paul was saying, no, 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 that's not true. It does matter because your body is a living temple. Do you remember these passages? See, Paul's been driving us somewhere. He says, 
When you come to Jesus Christ, not only is it when we come together as a group, it becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you as an individual, if you are full of the Holy Spirit, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. So it matters what you do. And so then you have these people in the Corinthian church that were actually thinking that they were so special that they could um, treat each other how they saw fit. They could even take each other to court. They could sue a brother or sister in Christ. And so what was happening, just like what I was talking about when I was a kid, when my home began to fall apart, what was happening is the temple of God was beginning to fall apart. And so Paul then is addressing this, and he's saying, listen, you don't take your brothers and sisters to court. And so we developed this theme. We said what's going on, what Paul's writing about is, listen, for the sake of Jesus Christ, why not just rather be wronged so that when we come together, we are not bringing division together, we are not bringing sin into the temple. In fact, what is happening is we are, and because we love the Lord our God and because we love each other, we are self-sacrificial in our love toward each other. This is what we do. He says, make sure this is who you are becoming, a people that is no longer because that you love the Lord and you love each other, you're no longer practicing wrong in your lives. Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes sense. So what was happening, there were people who were being sexually immoral. We said that two weeks ago. Before, I'm glad what Timothy said about the Lord's name and praise the Lord. That was a great break. But a week before Timothy spoke, remember we were talking about the idea that your grace doesn't give you the freedom to hurt other people. And one of the ways that we hurt other people is by being sexually immoral, right? So this is where we find ourselves. And Paul gives this long list in chapter six. He says, look, here is the idea. There are people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And these are the people who practice doing wrong and this is what it looks like when they practice doing wrong. You can go back and look at it for yourself. I'm not gonna re-preach it. So now, Paul comes to a place where the Corinthian church, they've, they've written him a letter and they've asked him some questions and you're gonna pick up on this. And so Paul's answering their questions because they have some questions about the day of the Lord. The Lord is going to return, so what is important to the Lord? And you remember all the way through this, we're being reminded that a lot of the reason, obviously, that we are making sure that we are keeping intact that the temple, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us is because we know that the day of the Lord is coming. And that is the day when he's going to judge everybody by what they've done to each other and how they've loved each other. So when I was a kid, I'll get into it, but when I was a kid, I can tell you this. I always thought to myself that as long as I had the right respect for the Lord inside of myself, 
it didn't matter what I did outside of myself. So what that was saying is, even though I had this knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, I was living to please my own self and commit all the sin I wanted, and then I just thought I was okay. But yet, chapter six comes along and we're reminded that we need to be living rightly before Jesus Christ returns. And this letter was written to believers. So let's pick up the reading. And let's look at chapter seven of 1 Corinthians. And I'm gonna read, I think I'm gonna read verses one to 16. So follow along. This is what it says. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man, notice the comment, or quotation marks, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through the believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? We'll stop right there. I'm glad this came along next, right, so we could all feel awkward together. Do you not feel this? Isn't this great? It's almost like a comedy. Let's look at the first thing I want you to see. Right living before Christ returns means all sexual relations occur in the context of marriage. And, you know, most of you right now, you're thinking, wow, I drove all the way to Hilltop Wesleyan to hear that. You've got to be kidding me. Everybody knows that. Well, don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. 
I can tell you right now that this is exactly where Paul's dealing with because in those days, in the, first, in the church at first, uh, Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, what Paul's writing is that there was sexual immorality occurring within the congregation. Did y'all pick up on that? And one of the reasons why it was occurring was on account of they were actually thinking because the day of the Lord was so near that there were actually some people who were in these marriages, I suspect, that they were actually unhappy in their marriages. And you remember in those days, there wasn't really this dating ritual that would take place, especially for the women, right? Aren't you glad you all were born now and not then because you would be married off to someone that maybe you didn't like? And so with all of this stuff that was taking place, it seems they would say that because the Lord is so near, then they don't need to be having sexual relations. And so they would deprive each other. Now, this is something that, as a pastor, I can tell you, um, over in, in both churches throughout my time in ministry, in Indiana and here, one of the things that has always stunned me is this issue right here. You want to see a marriage that's falling apart? I'll show you people that are no longer together in an intimate way. I remember one time when I was a youth pastor. I, we had a great youth ministry. I would love to tell you it was because Debbie and I built that up and made it so amazing, but that wasn't the case. It was a great ministry because the Lord was using someone else besides Debbie and I to attract the kids to come into our youth group. That's what actually happened. All I did was I just made the right connection with this person, but this person could actually get to the place where they would, I would I'm exaggerating, but it was like he could just go, I can't even do it. And, and, and the kids would just come. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he could just like say, you know, why don't you come to my church? We'd love to have you. And you, he might have 10 or 15 people show up at our church, but we would be out riding around, and I know I've shared this in the past, but we'd be out riding around going door to door trying to get people to come to church, and we would have these long talks, and one of the things that he shared with me was that he and his wife hadn't been intimate in like 10 years. I want you all to, I know this is awkward, but I want you to hear something. That's a marriage falling apart is what that is. And, and I, I can tell you that he, the, 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 the son was so angry at the world in those days. And I remember thinking, what in the world? I mean, I wasn't ready for this. I'm still young in the Lord myself, and I, I just didn't even know what to say. And I said, have you prayed about this? And he said, yes. He said, because we're out knocking on doors for people to come to church. And he said, I've told the Lord I'll take care of yours if you'll take care of mine. I want you all to understand something. When we pray, we don't cast our responsibility off on God. Y'all, are y'all with me? We don't cast our responsibility off on God. You know what he does? He catches it and he puts it right back down on us. That's literally what he does. When we pray, you and I, we're wasting our time when we ask God to fix something that we are perfectly capable of fixing ourselves. Are y'all with me? 
That's not how God works because that's not how marriage looks, okay? And, and, and I, I tell people in premarital counseling all the time, I usually tell them, you know, when you have children, they're going to learn how to love their future spouse by observing the love that you have for each other. You understand what I mean. Values are caught, they're not taught. It, they can just tell, when people are intimate with each other, they have a love for each other that's unexplainable. And I can tell you, when I was looking at the Greek in some of this, one of the things that stood out to me was that Paul was talking about um, the sexual immorality and all this other stuff. He said, you know, he's using the Greek word pornia, which obviously you get what that means. But when he's talking about in the context of marriage, what he was talking about when he's talking about sexual relations in those contexts, he's using the terminology that means to have and to hold. Have you all ever heard that before? When we do weddings, what do we say? To have and to hold, don't we? Because what God is doing, he is taking something that he always meant for good, but the world is turning so evil. Remember we talked about that? That's the definition of evil. Using something meant for good, for um, wrong, right? Doing wrong with it. And so God is taking something that was meant for good and putting it into the context of marriage between a man and a wife. This is what right living looks like before Jesus returns. Now, I'm just gonna say this to you. Can you imagine if, I, I always tell people, I hope I'm wrong in understanding scripture. I do. Because there's gonna be a lot of Christians who are going to be stunned when Jesus Christ returns. They're going to be stunned. And I'm gonna say that they're going to be, there are going to be people who, are, who were like me who would say, well, you know, I, I love the Lord, but we don't do anything that resembles that we love him because we disobey him every step of the way. And for this all to happen, love is always self-sacrificing, isn't it? Did you pick up on what Paul said? Don't deprive each other. He said, in fact, the wife doesn't have authority over her body. She has authority over the husband's body. You all remember that, and it's vice versa. In other words, there's a lot of equality going on there. Did you pick up on that too? There's equality. Nobody is forcing somebody, but we love one another, and it should come into our homes, and it should come into our homes the right way. Let's look at the next thing I want you to see. Right living before Christ returns means those who have the gift of celibacy should remain unmarried. I, have you heard this preached before? Anybody ever heard about celibacy? If you haven't ever heard of it, what this means is this is the ability to have self-control over your sexual desires and, and, and abstain from sexual relations. And so what Paul is saying here, he said, listen, he goes, um, I wish that all of you were as I am, unmarried. What Paul is saying is, is that if you have self-control over your sexual desires and you're able to abstain, then here's why it's a gift from God, because all gifts from God are meant to aid people in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, right? So it's a gift from God to remain unmarried, if that's what God has called you to, it is actually a spiritual gift. 
So what Paul was saying is, you know, I can, and you can check it later on, I can go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world because I know that Jesus is going to return soon, and because I know he's going to return, I'm able to have control of myself and go share the good news with those who do not know Jesus Christ. And I can do so because I do not have a spouse that is concerned about the worldly things that most married couples find themselves concerned about. And in fact, I think at the core of this, it really actually goes to the point that I made earlier that if you are already married, because Paul's not saying get a divorce because you want to be a celibate person, but if you are already married, um, you should have self-control not to go outside of the marriage context. And now he's saying if you're unmarried, you should actually have self-control to abstain and move on about your life. He's not saying get, get divorced or anything like that. Because what was going on within those who were committing sexual immorality, who were committing adultery on each other, and we can see it from the letter, is that there, apparently there were spouses because they were so spiritual, they actually began to no longer sleep with their spouse. And you know what? Chapter 11's coming, isn't it? And it's gonna start in chapter eight, actually, when Paul's saying, don't go to the temple where the temple prostitutes are and join yourself with a pagan because you have the temple of God in you. So Paul is saying now, listen, you have to have self-control, and just like you have to have self-control not to take part in that type of sexual sin of adultery, if you have the gift, have self-control to maintain your gift for the sake of God's kingdom because the day of the Lord is actually near and that way you won't be hindered in sharing the gospel. Now, it's interesting to me that not only do we no longer talk about the gift of celibacy as actually being something that is a gift from God. Uh, sometimes I tell people, do you know that you actually have, if you, you may have the gift of poverty, that's a spiritual gift from God too. But these are gifts nobody wants, right? And so, but it's amazing to me, not only do we no longer talk about that, but in the American church, it doesn't seem like we're talking about Jesus returning very soon at all. When in fact, if you look around you, what does it look like? So how important is it to live rightly with each other? It's very important. Let's look at the next thing I want you to see. We're just going down his list. Right living before Christ returns means do not initiate divorce. Well, now this is an interesting concept too, isn't it? Because I've had people, remember what I said, I've had people ask me, do you think it was God's will for me to get a divorce from uh, my spouse? And I, obviously, I'm gonna say no. And this is why I'm going to say no. You even heard what Paul said. He said, this is what I say, and this is not just I, but the Lord said this, you are not to leave your husband or your wife, right? So this is interesting because God has been very concerned in 1 Corinthians, um, especially throughout this letter, he's been talking about the importance of our relationships that we have with each other within the church. 
right? Our relationships that we have with each other in the church are very important to Jesus Christ. In fact, when we come together, we all know that if we are believers, I know that when I look at you, I have to remind myself the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. You are literally a temple of God. In the same token, my hope would be that you believe that the Spirit of God actually dwells inside of me, although sometimes you may wonder, right? And so you would hope that we would all understand this, and so that makes our relationships with each other extremely important. So Christ isn't divided, amen? You you all should have said amen right there, right? So amen, God isn't divided, so we're not divided, and so it, it even goes into our homes, And it's so stunning to me when I said earlier, I don't see anything in Scripture that really talks a whole lot about dating unless you want to take uh, the the story of Jacob, who was later named Israel, right, who was duped by his uncle and had to marry both his daughters, remember that? So I don't know that that's the model of dating, right? That was not the model of dating. So I don't really see a whole lot about dating in Scripture. So what this tells me, and I'm just thinking out loud, But what this tells me is that every marriage is redeemable. And the reason it's redeemable is because if I am full of God, if the Spirit of God is dwelling in me and Jesus Christ is my Lord, I am not the one who initiates separation with anyone. Because I love people enough that love covers a multitude of sin. Have you ever heard that verse before? So what that's telling me is that I don't initiate divorce because I am, according to what Jesus says, I am even capable of loving my enemy. Now, I don't know where you're at, There's so many questions that could be asked at this point. But I think the principle behind this, and I'm gonna go ahead and give away this text at the little bit below chapter, or verse 16. Wherever God has found you, remain in that situation. Because I have people who ask me, well what if you've been divorced, right? You start serving right now from where you are. Y'all with me? We just simply start serving right now where I'm at. I was thinking about this this week, and I remember thinking and when I was, uh, I was driving a dump truck and I was with my buddy, uh, we would talk about the Lord sometimes. I guess it was foreshadow, I don't know. I wasn't going to church, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, but we would talk about the Lord and I would say, well, you know, if I could just get out of this job, if I could just get a different life, I could serve the Lord, I think. I think I could serve the Lord if God would get me out of this job. And you know what he did? You know what God did? He got me out of that job. You know what I did? I didn't serve the Lord. I didn't serve the Lord. The idea that I was portraying to my friend was that if if I could have a different situation, then I could, I could be in the situation where I would serve the Lord. 
See, it wasn't the situation that was defining me. It was what was going on inside of me that was defining who I am. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And so wherever you're at, you can serve the Lord, which means that every marriage is redeemable. Now, if somebody has cheated on you or if somebody is abusing you, that's a different story. Maybe I'm a bit liberal there. But I'm gonna tell you that every marriage is redeemable. You don't, even if you don't like the person, you can love them through Jesus Christ. You can do it. Well, you know, Debbie can, right? So if you don't think it's possible, ask, ask my wife. I think she loves me now after all these years, finally. But I think she loves me. But I'm just telling you, because of the Spirit of God, and if you work with him and your will, you can love your spouse. You don't have to initiate separation. And let me tell you, divorce to me is another word for alienation, which is what you hear in Scripture, especially in Galatians chapter 5, when people become alienated from Jesus Christ. Something for you to study at home. Let's look at the last thing I want you to see this morning. Right living before Christ returns means live in peace. (laughs) This is hard on me. Well, it's up there somewhere. It didn't switch, but it's up there. Maybe it was missed. But live in peace. Because I can tell you right now what Paul is saying, especially to someone who's married to an unbeliever. Did you pick up on that? We're gonna try to understand what he's saying. He's already said that all marriages are important to him, but he said something that seems to be contradictory, and he says, live in peace. He's saying live in peace because if the unbeliever wants to leave, let them leave, right? That's quite a statement. So what I'm going to say because of what we've been seeing all the way through this letter, especially in regard to the brother who takes a brother into the court system outside of the church, what Paul is trying to communicate is that we are called to live in peace. We don't have to fight somebody. We don't fight our brother who may have taken advantage of us. We don't take him to court in that fight. We certainly aren't going to fight the person who doesn't believe in Jesus and wants nothing to do with God's holy marriage. And we can do that because you know what Jesus is going to find when he returns? As long as we did our best and we intended to love our spouse and the spouse left anyway, that we just simply let them go for the sake of peace because we trusted Jesus with the rest of our lives. That's what he'll find. This morning, I can imagine what people are thinking. And it's in Scripture, y'all. I didn't write it. But I can imagine this morning, you might be thinking to yourself, man, oh, that pastor there, he is talking about stuff that shouldn't be talked from the pulpit. But I'm going to tell you this. The Lord wrote it, that w- and it was written to the church in Corinth, meant to be read aloud to the group. The Lord had no qualms talking about it. I'm going to tell you this this morning. If you're somebody who is, is in a marriage right now and you are being sexually immoral, stop. Stop. 
It's amazing to me how I hear stories about worship teams, not ours. I hope not. (laughs) But I do. I hear these stories on a regular basis, or maybe within churches. I want you all to know something. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes back, he better find the church doing and being who we say we are. I believe that the Lord is tired of seeing families broken up. If there's one thing that I could fix in the American church, if I could press the button and fix it in the American church, I would fix the situation with marriage. I would fix it because it's seeping into our communities and people are learning to live selfishly and we only love ourselves now and it's destroying us as a people. But it all starts in a healthy home, all of it. If you're somebody who's struggling with whether or not to be celibate, let me just simply say that if you're a widow or a widower or just single, whatever it is, if God has given you the gift of self-control, you need to practice the self-control and focus on his kingdom. But if you have no self-control, you need to do what Paul says. You need to pursue marriage and everything in the context of marriage between a man and a wife. Because we are followers of Jesus Christ. And you remember what I said in the first or second chapter of the book of Ephesians? You remember what God is doing? He's creating right now a new humanity, not a humanity that chases after their own desires, but a humanity that chases after the desires that God has for us, which are meant to build us up in the love for him and each other so that we can live in peace. That's what they're meant to do. If you're somebody that's been thinking about initiating separation or divorce, whatever it is, I can tell you that the Lord is able to cure your marriage, and it may very well start with you. It may very well start with you. The Lord wants to transform your marriage, not just for your sake, but for the sake of your children and those who are around you. You better believe me when I tell you that even though my parents are dead right now, that I still struggle with the things that didn't end up the way they should have to this day. You have to think beyond yourself. As God's people, that's what we do. I remember there was a time in the American church when people would think about the generation that's coming after us. We have to think this way. And if you're somebody that's not living in peace with your spouse, let alone the people around you, but at least with your spouse, you need to pursue peace. One of the Sunday school teachers that had the most impact on my life when I was a kid, I'm telling you, was the sweetest person, and I could hear this person and their spouse fighting with each other. They, I think they were 78 years old. And I would stand out there and just in my backyard, and I would be like, looking and listening, I could hear them through the walls and the things that they would say to each other. I was like, I mean, I was five years old. I remember thinking, I wouldn't have thought they talked like that to each other. I was stunned. Live in peace. 
because people around you are observing how to live in peace with each other. A good dose of peace right now would do the United States a world of good, wouldn't it? We Christians need to get back to thinking about the return of Jesus Christ. If Jesus came back today, now I know I sound like an old preacher right now, don't I? But it's in Scripture. If the Lord came back today, would those who call themselves Christians really go to heaven with him? If you're not measuring these things, if we're not wrestling with these things, then we're not growing. When Jesus returns, may we all be found faithful to his word and to each other. Because I can tell you, those who are engulfed in sexual immorality are destroying the church universal right now. And Satan seems to be winning. And all that it takes is someone to say, I'm not going to respond to those temptations. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Last thing I'm going to say to you, I don't expect all of us Christians, those of us who are filled with the Spirit, I don't expect us to win every single battle. I don't expect us to live perfectly on a daily basis, but I will tell you this, on the major things in life, through Jesus Christ, you and I can win. We can win. And when we win, because of Jesus working himself through us, our children win and their children will win. God's grace will do more than just get you out of trouble. He will turn your families around. And you need to know that this morning. Wherever you are, you serve him from this point on. Whatever's happened that was not good, let it go. Ask God to forgive you, and he'll let it go. But follow him from now on. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know where you're at this morning. I know we're missing some people on vacation, but we're on the internet as well. And that goes for anybody on the internet. I don't know where everybody's at spiritually, but if you are not giving yourself wholly to your God and your marriage, it is time to start. Ask him to help you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. We're so grateful, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I know some of it just seems so elementary to many of us because we've, we've always known. But Lord, sometimes we have to be reminded how important it is that we are living rightly before your return. Because, Father, we just simply drift. And, Father, I pray right now that if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that's struggled with anything I've said, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to them and help them. That, Father, that they would read the Bible for themselves. 
and hear from you. Father, I pray that you would strengthen your church, not just here, but all the churches in our community, all the churches in our nation and in our world. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us so that we would win through Jesus Christ and that he would win through us. Help us. I pray that you keep us safe and bring us back again safely Wednesday and Sunday. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.